But we are continuing in our Time to Grow series where we've been looking at the fruit of the Spirit that God wants to grow in our lives. Now, last week we looked at the word kindness as we read from this kind of our home passage there found in Galatians 5. And we talked about the fact that kindness is a word that's pretty easily defined. And even a child understands it at its most basic level, right? Putting, putting love into action, treating others the way you want to be treated. Now, this week, we're looking at a word, gentleness, and it's nowhere near as easily defined or understood. We're going to have to work at this one a little bit, all right? Ready to do that this morning? But before we dive deeper into this idea of gentleness, gentleness, I want to hit the pause button for a moment. We're going to back up a bit and uh, and take a look at the big picture of what it means to talk about the fruit of the Spirit. I just kind of want to take a moment to reframe. A number of weeks ago when we started this off, uh, I was speaking, I had the chance to kind of introduce a series when we talked about the idea of, um, of, of paddling. We become a, a follower of Jesus Christ. He, we get us, he gets us in the lifeboat, and then we quickly start picking up our paddle, our oar, and we start paddling like crazy to please God. We work really hard because if I work harder, I'm going to make more of a difference. God's going to love me more, and it just, you know, there it goes. And really then we made the analogy that what God really wants us to do is to put our paddle down. He wants us to be in the boat and sail the boat as the Holy Spirit, as God himself fills the sail and really propels us forward where he wants us to go. And uh, in Galatians 5, right before this fruit of the Spirit list that we've looked at, right before it is a little list called the works of the flesh. It really says, but the works or the deeds of the flesh are. And this is a list of really um, ungodly and immoral things. Well, not only are they ungodly and immoral, but they are works. Okay, I want you to catch this. They are works. You do them. And left to ourselves in the flesh, we're going to work and do things that are sinful, ungodly, and immoral. Follow that list then up. Here comes this list of the fruit of the Spirit. Now, it's not the works Here's the works of the flesh, but here's what you're going to do to work for God. It's not. It's the works of the flesh, and, and then it's not even the things we're going to do for God. It's the, it's the fruit of the Spirit. It's what God does in us and the fruit that is then born in us as we submit to him. It's a very different thing. We continue to struggle, though, with this whole list of, uh, we see this list of the fruit of the Spirit, and, and okay, so it's love, joy, peace, patience, so all these things that have to do happen, and we kind of start working on them because we're supposed to be loving, we're supposed to be, and it becomes pretty easy. Uh, again, it becomes a task, and we pick up our paddle. Well, I want to give you another visual example this morning, and Ryan, would you come up and give me a hand with some, with some, um, with some props? I didn't set him up for this, so he's just going to come forward and help me, and... and uh, but I saw him here in the front row, and, uh, and we thought I'd help out. Because I got some props that we want to carry, and I was going to do it myself, but I'll hand them to you as we go through. Okay. So first of all, the fruit of the Spirit. It's a natural thing to do. Fruit of the Spirit, that's great. But God says, fruit of the Spirit is love. Are we supposed to be loving? Yes. Good. Yes. Right answer. All right, Jim wins that one there. So fruit of the Spirit is love. So here we go. Wham. So Ryan, if you can hold love for him for a minute there, that'd be great. And so now God gives us love, and yet we also are supposed to carry love and be loving. Except that's kind of a wimpy heart for love, because God is really big, and his love's big. So let's exchange that for this one here. So hold on to love for me. That's a little bit more of a, a three-quarter inch MDF that's kind of hefty. And uh, so there's love, the fruit of the Spirit. And we start being loving. That, well, that doesn't stop there because the fruit of the Spirit is love. And then it's joy, right? Now, joy is way more than happiness. It's way more than happiness. But, but let's put this around your neck because it's easier to carry. And so now we're joyful, too. And we've got to start being joyful. How you doing all right so far? Love, joy, and, uh, and peace. Okay, so a dove, an olive branch. Gosh, that's awful wimpy. You see, it, peace needs to be more than a small little olive branch, a couple of leaves, because God gives us the peace that transcends, goes beyond all understanding. It's got to be bigger than that. So this is oak, admittedly, from the storm. But let's pretend this is an olive branch here. So love and joy and peace, and then patience.
patience because, of course, patience is time. And so can you hold that? Kind of do your best. Okay, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. Kindness, that was last week here. Now, this one isn't so big here, but, uh, but it is gold because kindness is following the golden rule. Okay, sorry, here. How you doing? Okay, so love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. He's doing a good job. He's, now, can you run a couple of laps around the outside of the, the chairs here? Because don't really. He was actually going to think about doing that. And all of a sudden, but I've got to do all these things, and I've got to bear all these things. And we're not, we're what, halfway through the list? You think we're ready to stop here? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness. And we're going on to gentleness. Okay, why are we doing this? Because these things are big and we've got to do them. We've got to carry them. We've got to be strong and people have to see us. And the funny thing is in the midst of all this, his joy has almost disappeared under all this stuff, hasn't it? Because the clock's there and all that. I'd be joyful while I do this. As I, Ryan, you can unload those things on the ground there for a second while we do something else here. You see, God never has told us to work like crazy and do those things. God says what? Remember when I cut the sponge out if you were here four or five weeks ago? God says focus on the, on the cross, right? Our focus isn't doing all of these things. The focus is on the cross. And as Ryan, as we unload all these things, thank you for not destroying them. I have one more service. <laughs> and as we focus on the cross, God says focus simply on Jesus. And I'm going to start producing in you the things that I want to produce in you. But it isn't going to come about because you're such a hard worker and such a great guy, although you are a hard worker and a great guy. But the reality is we don't deserve any of this, and we don't actually earn anything at all. But what starts happening now, is this heavy on the back, on your back here? All of a sudden, the traits of Jesus just kind of start showing up and start being born out in his life here. But what's he doing? He's not making it happen by working and carrying all this stuff and running laps and working hard and carrying a bigger heart and a bigger clock and all those things. It simply becomes a focus on the cross. Is that visual helpful for you? Are you ready to put some of your big things down and maybe just start God bearing some fruit in us while we look at the cross? You can keep the stickers, but I'm going to take this back okay. one more service. Thank you, Ryan. Go sit down. Could you guys say thank you to Ryan? You're a good sport, bud. You want to stick around for third service? Nah, we're good. Well, again, I just want to reframe because I don't know if you're like me, but I find myself, even if I, after I remind myself, within minutes, I'm back to picking up a bigger heart and getting, getting back busy, you know, at, at the work. Now, certainly, there is work involved. There's, there's effort on our part involved. It's not just being passive. But God says, the work that I want to do in you and through you is that's really what it's about. But I want to move now to look at the word gentleness that appears there in Galatians 5 and see if we can unpack its meaning so it makes the most sense to us today. See, sometimes when you translate a word that was written 2,000 years ago in a different language and a whole different culture, it gets a little difficult to use one English, word, one English word to nail the meaning of that word in the Bible. That can be really difficult. And this is one of those cases. You see, the Greek word that is translated as gentleness in our Bible is, is not how we often think of gentleness in our culture. It's not a lack of spirit or, or courage or energy. It's not a lack of strength. It's really a place where strength and gentleness go together. We might define this gentleness, and again, I, I left this little space at the top of your outline, kind of gentleness unpacked if you want to jot anything down that goes through here, and I'll give you a little definition, write it or not, but you'll get the, you'll get the drift. We might define this word gentleness as humble submission to God's will. Humble submission to God's will, which reflects itself in humility. Okay, so it's humble submission to God's will, which reflects itself in 
and humility. And we see humble and humility, those two words right there in the definition. I'm going to humbly submit to God's will, your will, God, not mine, and it's going to reflect itself in humility. And those words, humble and humility, both are used in that short sentence. And you realize that gentleness is really the outworking of someone who has embraced true humility. In a sense, the Holy Spirit moves to knock out pride in our lives, replacing with humility, and then that leads to the fruit of gentleness. Now, I remember a period in my life a number of years ago when I was convicted by my own lack of gentleness, me personally, and and so I began to work really hard on being gentle. (laughs) Yeah, I picked up the big heavy G. Where is it? Oh, I didn't cut one of those. You know, but in a sense, that's what I did. I picked up the big G because I didn't want to just be a little bit gentle. I saw, man, I don't have this. I need to have this. And, you know, I I tend to be a person who's a high achiever. So when I work at something that's produced, I'm going to grab that G and I'm going to really start, you know, going at it and uh, start trying to become a more gentle person, more gentle man. Well, two problems that came from that. First, I attacked it on my own, thinking that with my strength of will, I could force myself to be more gentle, but it doesn't work that way, you know? I will be more gentle. I will. I will. I will. (laughs) And the second problem was that I didn't totally understand that what I really needed to be working on was my pride. What I really needed to be working on was my pride, and God changed me in that, and, and as God changed me in that area, I would start becoming more gentle, Okay. Now, needless to say, that was kind of a frustrating time in, my, time in my life where I would sometimes make a little headway and then kind of back, a little bit of step forward and a step back. And Well, I've learned better now, so I, I get to start again, I guess. Only this time I get to do it a whole different way. You see, you see, as we begin to look at the fruit of gentleness that the Holy Spirit wants to produce in us, we're going to have to look really closely at humility, too as one does not exist without the other. And we're going to see that today. And I hadn't made that connection really clearly. So we say humility, and then we have to say, well, what does the word humility really mean? I mean, we kind of know what it means, but uh, I don't know about you, but it seems to have a lot of negative connotations when I hear about it. Yippee, humility. Uh, we say love, and we smile. We say joy, and we really smile, right? You know? but, but humility, we kind of go, gosh, negative connotations. Being humiliated, isn't that kind of like, you know, humility is, is awful. Do you, do you have a memory of your life? Maybe it was when you were very small that you remember being humiliated, especially if it was publicly. Is that a good memory? Anybody want to share? <laughs> Probably not, huh? You kind of, for a moment, went to a bad place. Being humiliated is an awful thing. I'm not going to share a personal memory on that one. I'm going to pass on that. What about being humbled, right? That sounds awful, too. You know, it sounds like what happened to the Los Angeles Lakers at the hands of the Dallas Mavericks this playoff season, you know? And for uh, coming from L.A. and being a Lakers fan, man, it was humbled. It wasn't good. It wasn't pretty, you know? So what is God saying here? What is he asking? And, 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 and what is humility? And is it really such a negative thing? We have to tell you that for the people of the first century... The people that received this letter firsthand and received these words directly uh, that we read in the Bible, their view of the term, hu- term humility was not any better than ours. In fact, it was probably worse from a negative standpoint. The Greek culture that day valued strength. They valued power uh, a ton, maybe more than anything. So when they, heard, when they heard the exhortation from Jesus and then from Scripture to be humble, it was this brand new idea to them that didn't really make any sense. The word really meant deferring to others, and it implied the attitude of a slave. Now, who wants to be a slave? And they had slaves around them, these bond servants, indentured people, and it was a drag. No one says, I think I want to be a slave this year. That sounds like fun. And yet that's what they're hearing when they're saying, be be humble. 
Be, be a slave. Defer to others. Basically, be a slave. Why would I want that? That doesn't make any sense. No one wants that. You know, ask them to be kind and loving, and sure, that makes sense. You know, the fruit of the Spirit is love and joy and peace. Oh, I can make sense of that, you know. May, maybe have more peace or more patience in your life. Yeah, that makes sense, too. You know, the fruit of the Spirit starts out making a lot of sense and sounding pretty good, but then, er, you hit this be humble, be gentle thing. What? I don't like that. It sounded to them like Jesus was advocating giving up everything that they worked for in life, everything they valued, you know? We're about power, having it together, looking out for myself, and this is just crazy. Well, maybe if we're honest with ourselves, we would say that that's exactly where we are this morning. Not just we as a culture, but we, you as me as an individual, if we're honest. I mean, what is Jesus really saying here? What does he want to say to me, and what is that going to look like in my life? <laughs> Well, if you're brave enough, let's take a look at this humility and gentleness and see where God takes us today on our journey. We'll hit our points now in our outline. If you want to fill in some blanks, you're welcome to do that. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit grows gentleness in me as I first of all develop a humble heart. Well, we already tied humility and gentleness together, but the issue here is heart, develops a humble heart. You see, we're so quick to focus on outward things in our culture, right? Since we measure most things by production, the more I produce, the better I am. You know, it makes me I'm a legitimate, you know, I'll make more money, I'll be more valued by people, the more I produce. But God always says that it starts where? It starts at the heart level. It always starts at the heart level. The heart is where God is most concerned, and he designed us in such a way that what's in the depths of our heart and that's what comes out of it. That's what comes out. What's inside is what comes out, at least over time, right? I mean, we can fake it for a little period of time, you know, but for the most part over time, the things that we do and the things we say will always reflect the condition of our heart. Now, God calls us to be humble and gentle, multiple, multiple places, certainly. In Ephesians 4, uh, chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Therefore I, in Paul's writing, a prisoner for serving the Lord, he's saying, I beg you to lead a life worthy of your calling. As a follower of Jesus, you've been called, for you have been called by God. Always be humble and gentle. Oops, humble and gentle. There they are. We're going to see a lot this morning. Humble and gentle together. Those words go hand in hand. See, you've been called as a follower of Jesus. You've been called by God. So live a life worthy of your calling. And that means being humble and gentle. Ah, so pursue humility, right? We need to pursue humility. Well, that may sound right. But it leads us to a bit of a problem. And it's the key point written there in your outline. Please write this down. The key point is this. You can't really work on humility directly. You can't really work on humility directly. Now, let me see if I can explain this to you so it makes sense. Hope you don't get frustrated. Humility is not focusing on yourself, right? Humility is not focusing um, on yourself, but on others. But if you try to work on your own humility directly, who are you focusing on? You, yourself, right? You catch a problem with that? To, to work on developing humility in yourself directly, you have to focus on yourself, and that's not humility. Oh, boy. Staying with me? If anything, if you make some progress and you start working on something, you end up working on not appearing proud, right? Since that's something you feel you can control by focusing on yourself. Well, I can, I can, I can, what can I do and say so that I don't come off being you know, prideful? So you work on how you appear and not on the heart issue. And before you know it, if you make some headway in appearing more and more humble over time, you end up being proud of how humble you are, right? <laughs> I am getting pretty humble. I'm seeing that in myself. Yeah, you know, it's, a, it's crazy. And so now this circle continues. And you see, if you want to be humble, you end up making it about you. But, hi, but humility is all about others, not about you. Ah, 
Frustrated? So how do we do this? Because that was your point number one. (laughs) Develop a humble heart. I can't do it. Exactly. You can't. You can't. The answer lies in our focus and what we're looking at and where we're looking. So don't look at yourself. Instead, it's point number two in your outline. Look closely at Jesus. And if you hear last week, that was one of the major points of last week. See, that's why this is a list of the fruit of the Spirit. They're all different, but they're all the same. They come from the same God, and they're produced in very similar ways. They look different in our lives because they're different aspects of God. But they come when we focus and look closely at Jesus. See, we can learn from the only perfectly humble and gentle man in the history of the world, Jesus Christ. Now, now sure, Jesus is also God, but when he walked the earth in the form of man, he gave us a perfect example of, of a life lived under God's perfect control. And I look in Matthew 11, starting in verse 28, and it says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carry heavy burdens. (laughs) Some of this stuff, right? And I will give you rest. Put it down. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am, there it is, what? Humble and gentle. They're there again. And you will find rest for your souls. Doesn't that sound great? It actually goes on to say, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He's saying the burden is here and your focus has to be here. He says, I want to produce something in you. Jesus is speaking about himself when he says the gentleness and humility here. And and, and he says that he will teach us and give us rest. Now, teach us. Don't don't we normally look for teachers who are smart and charismatic, you know, powerful, persuasive, and heavily educated? (laughs) Jesus is saying, I'm humble and I'm gentle. Not the stereotype. Learn from me, he says. Jesus says, look at me, walk with me, walk like me as you walk with me. Learn from me and you will find true humility. You will find gentleness and you'll find what you're really looking for, which is the rest from the burdens. And that sounds really good to me. Now, we, we get the best picture of Jesus' choosing to humble himself in Philippians chapter 2. And I want us to take a look for a few minutes at some key verses in that chapter, okay? And uh, as I read through these verses and talk about them, I want you to notice two things, two T's to focus on. I'm just setting you up here. First of all, the theology of the verses. And that's really the, the depth of understanding God and how he worked this coming in the form of man, this humbling that he went through. Uh, but second, that's the theology. The second thing is the trajectory, Okay, there's kind of a, a, a term for you, Tra- the trajectory in this passage. That's really the direction of motion that's taking place here. And then how can that help us in our journey? Okay, theology and trajectory. Here we go. Philippians 2, uh, beginning at verse 3, it says this. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, regard one another as more important than yourselves. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped. But you see, Jesus, he, he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and, and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself, there it is again, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Now, the reality is this passage of Scripture could turn into a four or five, six-week series just on this passage alone. Uh, back in seminar, I remember that we took multiple weeks in systematic theology looking at this, this one passage and specifically this word kenosis that's there. It says God emptied himself. He humbled himself. And what does that really mean? 
When, when God came in the form of man, well, he gave something up because he came in the form of man, but he didn't stop being God, so what did he give up? Did he give up some of his omnis? Did he give up some of his godly nature? Well, if he did that, he wouldn't be fully God. You see how this starts getting heavy? The reality is he emptied himself. He laid aside his glory, and he laid aside some of his rights. And what he, he says, because I love you so much, because I love you so much, because I love you so much, I'm going to put these things aside that I have every right to. It's a part of me, but I'm going to lay them aside because I think so highly of you. And the theology leads to the trajectory because the trajectory is this. When you look to see the way up, I want to go up, right? That way is down. Becoming like Jesus means serving. It means sacrificing. It means being a slave. And as backwards as that feels, you know, in order to go up, you got to go down. It's Jesus' way. It's a Jesus trajectory it feels wrong. It feels as backwards today as it did 2,000 years ago because we want up. It's like getting on an elevator, telling the other passengers that you want to go up, and then reaching down and pushing the button for the basement. <laughs> and they'll look at you just like that. You just said you wanted to go up. I do. Punch, basement. That doesn't make any sense. You're crazy. Yeah, I know. It's a Jesus trajectory. It's not the way the world does it. It goes against what feels right, and it certainly goes against what we want. It's counterintuitive, but it's a Jesus trajectory. You want a lot? Give it away. You want greatness? Serve others. If you want happiness, don't seek your own happiness. Seek the happiness of others. It's counterintuitive, but it's the Jesus trajectory, and it's how God wants to develop humility and the fruit of gentleness in you and me. I mean, think about it. As we've talked here, we've stopped talking about working on humility directly. We simply started looking at Jesus, and as we look at him and spend time with him, and, his, and, and, and we, we, we start to walk like him, and we start to act like him, we start to talk like him, and the, the going down is what takes you up trajectory of following Jesus, ends up developing humility and gentleness like you've never known because I'm not seeking humility I'm seeking to understand and follow Jesus. And he starts building that in me. If you want to go up, we go down. Well, the Holy Spirit grows gentleness in me as I third see a humble heart transform my words and actions. As I see a humble heart transform my words and actions. You know, we actually covered this a bit in point two because, you know, humility and gentleness shows in your word and actions. But I want to list this as a separate point because I want you to see the whole thing as a progression. God develops in us a humble heart as we focus on Jesus. And then Jesus' heart starts changing our heart that then transforms our words and actions. What do we tend to focus on when we, when we see something we lack? We focus on doing better. Do better. Work harder. Get better grades. Be more gentle. God wants to transform our heart by us focusing on Jesus. And as Jesus' heart starts becoming a part of us, it starts changing our words and our actions. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, says, verse 1 says, By the humility and gentleness of Christ, there it is again. Did you notice how many times these words appear together? By the humility and gentleness of Christ, I appeal to you. This is Paul writing. I, Paul, who am timid when face to face with you, but bold towards you, went away. Paul talks about the heart of humility and gentleness in Jesus, and he sees it affect and transform his words. 
His words appeared timid to some of them while he was with them. He just said that. Not the words of power that are so honored in that culture for men who were trying to impress. They were like, Paul, isn't this this great, this great guy? And yet he came to us and it was just very timid, humble, gentle words. And yet he writes with words of confrontation and truth with strength when he hears that they're straying into sin. That's the context of this verse. He cares enough about them. He loves them so much that then he writes boldly, not to impress them with his words. Oh, see, I knew Paul could be powerful. Now he's saying, I love you so much, I want to serve you by being truthful with you. You know, I want to get you to wise up and take a look at yourselves. Even if it makes you mad at me and you hate me for it, I'm going to express my love to you, Paul says, with strength and, and control both. Now we see Peter, one of the other great apostles in 1 Peter chapter 5, say, all of you clothe yourselves with humility towards one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. And Peter's saying, don't just try to be humble and gentle. Don't just do it for a moment. Put on the clothes of humility so that you're ready to live as a humble person serving others. It would have been overkill on props. I almost thought to bring a big shirt and put it on that says humble and gentle. If you put it on and then went about your business as a humble and gentle person, rather than tried to carry a big G and function in life? Wouldn't that work better? That's what he's saying. Clothe yourselves with it. Put it on. It's now a part of who you are, right? So you can take on that role for an extended period of time. I mean, if you're a soldier and you're going out into battle, you're going to put on your uniform, you know, flak jacket, helmet, all the stuff that's there so you can be prepared for battle all day and often all night and the next day too. It's there because I'm ready to do the job I'm here for. If you're a football player or a hockey player, you know, you're going to put on your uniform pads, all that gear, so, he can be a, so, so you can be a football or a hockey player ready to do what it takes to win for the entire game, not just for a moment, right? Put it on and be ready to go, and that's what he's saying. Let God put it on you. Let it develop in you. Let it be you. Clothe yourselves with humility so you're ready to be humble. And then, then this spirit will mature that humility and you will become a person who bears the fruit of gentleness. But I have to tell you that this is a fruit that our culture doesn't understand and one that will draw people to Jesus perhaps more than any other. You see, if you start talking about love, it makes a lot of people smile. If you talk about joy, people really smile. We live in a community where there's a lot of altruistic and very humanitarian, wonderful deeds being done by a lot of people because, because love is such a good thing. But humility and gentleness, those aren't really embraced in our culture, you know? Do we sit down with our kids and say, I want you to, be, I want you to grow up to be humble. I want you to grow up to be president. I want you to, I want you to grow up to be humble. I, I think you can do both, Maybe didn't mean to get political there. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's a fruit that our culture doesn't understand, but one that may just draw people to Jesus like no other one as we start being changed. So just in case you inadvertently lapse back into trying to put the clothes of humility on with your own power, I'm going to do it. I'm going to John gentleness, the GVH. Let me remind you of the progression. Let God develop a humble heart in you as you look closely at Jesus. And that humble heart, that gift that comes, that gift that comes from looking at Jesus and emulating him, imitating him, will transform your words and your actions into humble words and actions, into gentle words and actions. Because Jesus says in Luke 6, and it's not in your outline, but in Luke 6 it says, he says, um, a good person produces good things from the treasury of a good heart, and an evil person produces evil things from the treasury of an evil heart. And Jesus says this, what you say flows from what is in your heart. What you 
do flows from what is in your heart. And if Jesus is deep in your heart, he can't help but flow out from you. So where's your focus and where's your desire this morning? Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for loving us and caring for us. And God, I ask, or before I ask, I thank you that, that, that Jesus modeled this humility and this gentleness. Because God, honestly, when I think about those words, it isn't all that attractive to me, except Jesus is that attractive to me. And so, Father, I pray for each one of us that we would, we would learn to focus hard and seek Jesus hard and that you change our hearts, Father, so that we would transform this community, that people would go, this is weird, this doesn't make sense. These, these people from Twin Cities, hey, it doesn't matter they're from Twin Cities. These people that follow this Jesus are different. <laughs> they're beyond what man can do. And they'll turn to you as a result, Father. Develop in us that heart of humility and gentleness. In Jesus' name, amen.